This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Uh, Well, we're back with, I suppose, what you would call more of a normal pod um, today after a couple of brilliant specials with two amazing guests, Keith Downing and Nathan Ellington. If you haven't listened to them, please, please do go and find them on Apple or on Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Um, I'm I'm not just saying this because they're, they're, they're our podcasts. They they were brilliant, and they weren't brilliant because of me and Pete. They were brilliant because the guests were brilliant. Like, um, I I think uh, Pete, I think it's fair to say we both just kind of like sat back and and just listened to the stories and the knowledge and the information. And I think I I think especially with with Nathan. I mean, obviously, particularly with Keith, I was there pretty much the whole time. So uh, you know. There's kind of like not going to be a lot of debunking that goes on for me in terms of in terms of uh, myths because I was at the club at the same time. But obviously with Nathan, I joined the club um, in his second season. It really opened my eyes to a lot of things from that first season. So it was it, it uh, and and Keith's knowledge on coaching is just unbelievable. And I think I and I think that's something that doesn't get acknowledged and spoken about anywhere near enough because just be- just because he wasn't at the um the forefront of the of the cameras he wasn't the guy in the limelight all the time at the, at the Albion in fact he was only in the limelight for a very very brief period really whilst he was caretaker manager and i think when you actually sit down and you give the guy a platform like we did you you straight away see just how much unbelievable football knowledge he's got and and same with Nathan it just the passion for the game and the desire to want to be the best that he could possibly be and and, and you could feel the hurt that it didn't quite happen for him you just get to see a different side of these people don't you yeah i loved love listening to them both i mean with Nathan Ellington it was he left 
at the start of the season where I was first became a season ticket holder. So it was kind of like stories that he was telling was kind of like memories that I'd, I had that I'd heard, but I didn't really, really like understand at the time. So I thought that was really interesting to kind of hear how everything unfolded and how disappointed he was. And I mean, he was speaking about some some players that you know I loved in my first couple of seasons, like Kevin Phillips, um, and then just players that I kind of just missed out on, like Kamara and, and Carney. Um, but then Keith was brilliant as well because he was kind of, um, as you say, like debunking myths of of a time when I was you know, like fully into the Albion and, and kind of just, yeah, it was, well, a really good time at the football club and he was kind of giving a bit of information on stuff going on behind the scenes and stuff that you probably didn't see as just a, a supporter and also just his, his coaching. He just seems like he'd be an unbelievable coach um, and seems to have moved with the times um, and not afraid of kind of more modern methods or more modern things that are coming into football, which, I mean, probably shows and and how he's kept up with the game and he's, he's still working at the top level. So, yeah, I thought they were both, both brilliant to record and, and to um, to listen to them both speak. And hopefully we will have uh, another guest on in, in the coming weeks, um, just trying to line somebody up before I, before I give you a name and, and reveal who that will be. But unfortunately, <laughs> after after a nice sort of like couple of nostalgic pods that, that really sort of like get you thinking about times when things at the Albion were much, much better. It's back to reality with with a bit of a bump um, today. And what today's pod is going to be about is the current situation at the club. The We've made some changes behind the scenes um, at the very top of the, the club. Um, we've sort of got a new a new chief executive, although, uh, although Mark Miles seems to have um, subsumed Ron Gourlay's responsibilities into his existing role. I'm not completely sure as to as to whether mark has actually um taken on uh, taken on the title of chief executive i don't think he has i think he is still um managing director but and somebody can cr- correct me on that one if if uh, if they think i'm wrong we will talk about ian pierce's promotion anybody who's a regular listener to the pod can take a real stab in the dark as to how that conversation's going to go um, but we are going to start, Pete, with a bit of breaking news. We're recording this on a very, very warm Thursday evening in the Midlands. And the hot take at the moment has come from a article that dropped on the Athletic website around about 5 p.m. tonight, which, um, which talks about um, a potential... Egyptian businessman and Manchester-based sports uh, lawyer. Um, I'm not going to embarrass myself trying to say the fine Egyptian gentleman's name um, because I would probably butcher it, but I'm far more confident in saying that the Manchester-based sports lawyer is Chris Farnell, um, who are apparently in talks to buy a minority stake in the club and that could lead to a full takeover. Now, I'll be 100% honest. They were not names that meant a great deal to me at the point at which the article dropped. I hadn't heard the Egyptian gentleman's name at all. I was moderately aware of Chris Farnell just because he has been linked to moves with other clubs, uh, most notably Charlton and Burnley in, in the past. And when you actually go through the athletic article, it doesn't make for particularly pretty reading i have to say um he was uh, i'm 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 uh, 
summarising from the Athletic article fairly directly here. Um, he was briefly director at Wigan in 2013. He acted for Leeds United owner Massimo Cellino. Um, he was brought in by Berry's management to try and save the club um, before they crashed out of the EFL. Don't quite know how far before that happened he was brought in and whether whether he actually had a chance of saving them um but the real concern is around what happened with charlton pete and straight away charlton fans have been onto twitter um and i've seen a few posts uh, from from them to basically and i do like this about football that you know the the it's it's very it's very easy to at times in football be quite tribal not that we've got any particular axe to grind with Charlton in any real way, but Charlton fans are straight on to warn West Bromwich Albion fans about what uh, uh, what they can expect if if Farnell gets involved. Apparently, he he was uh, involved in a chaotic uh, 2020 takeover saga that ended with jo- uh, Thomas Sandegard, the Danish entrepreneur, taking control of the club, and he also was part of a failed bid um, to take over Burnley. I think the same Egyptian fellow that is being linked to us was linked to that bid. I mean, look, like I say, I'm always open on this podcast about where I have knowledge and where I don't have knowledge. And I'll be uh, I'll be 100% honest that if you had asked me, we're at half past eight now, um, three and a half hours ago to tell you five facts about uh, Chris Farnell, I couldn't have done it. But... I've done a bit of reading. What I have read, I find concerning. And I don't think he's he sounds like the kind of person we want buying our club. My take, Pete, before I throw to you, and I know somebody will have the clock on this, seeing how long I've I've talked without letting you get a word in edgeways. Um, my personal take is a couple of things. First of all, it worries me when I see people anywhere saying, oh, well, we can't do any worse than what we've already got. That is a dangerous attitude to have because we can do worse. That's the kind of thinking that saw Portsmouth go from FA Cup winners all the way to League Two, and they still haven't got anywhere close to back since. So you can you can go from the frying pan to the uh, to the fire and get yourself in even more of a mess than you already are. That's the first thing. The second thing is that look, I, I, it's amazing that we have raised so much attention about. The, the club's situation and I can't thank Action for Albion enough for the work that uh, that they've that they've done and we would be in a much worse situation if it weren't for Action for Albion but there is always unfortunately they're always give and take with every situation and where we've had the take of um uh, of, of having all this uh media publicity about our um our our plight what it has also done, unfortunately, um, and as I say, I wouldn't swap the work Action for Albion have done for anything, but unfortunately, the the, the uh, unintended consequence is always going to be that you advertise the club to, I mean, you can describe them as a few things. I, I personally look at it and, and say these are people that ideally would like to own a football club, but don't fully seem to have uh, in in an even contest don't seem to be able to get the deal over the line i mean that's been the case a few times with this person to the point where i think he was actually excluded from being being a football club director by the EFL and i mean whilst he's had that uh, situation overruled 
Um, it you know doesn't without having a depth of knowledge about that, it doesn't seem particularly good from the outside looking in. But it just it just seems to me like there are in this situation we are going to get people who are going to look at our football club and think, ah, here's my opportunity. And I don't know an awful lot about this particular person, but if you're asking me purely for my opinion and on instinct, what do I think right now? I think these people are those kind of people. I think they're opportunistic, and I don't uh, I don't think they are good news for West Bromwich Albion if this were to progress. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, just on the, the reading that I did before coming on here, it doesn't seem like good news at all. I searched Chris Farnell's name, came up with the same website that seems like a lot of Albion fans have, and that's the Charlton Dossier, which I believe is a Charlton Athletic fan website, and it's basically got a whole page on Chris Farnell. I think there's one on the Egyptian. Again, I'm not going to try and say his name because I'll butcher it as well. But, um, yeah, stories of Farnell, where he's come from, and what he's done. Um, at other I mean, clubs I'll, I'll and... have a stab at it. I think it's Mohamed El Kashashi. I think is is how is how you say it. But as I say, my apologies to any um, any Egyptian natives listening who are, who I've offended by my awful pronunciation. Okay, we'll go with that from now then, Al Kashashi. Um, but yeah, it's it just seems like wherever Farnell been. Yeah, there was the, the bit with Leeds where he's. I think he was supporting nego- negotiations to for Cellini to buy them. Um, and I think he basically thought that the deal had gone through and it had been approved by everyone and it hadn't. And he then sacked the manager. And the next morning, the manager got a phone call from the club saying that the person who sacked you didn't have the authority to sack you. So that's one example of his mess. Um, with Barry, it seems like he was kind of brought in towards the last minute to just try and support them and get a, a new owner in. And he was um, basically, according to this website, the, the owners that he was saying could be brought in were just... Well, not fictional, but just definitely didn't have the funds required or that they said that they had to buy the club and invest in it. So, again, it's... Um... Yeah, just just to make very clear that point, by the way, um, that, that, that we are... We're, we're repeating things that we are seeing on a website here. These are... this the, We're not, we're not uh, portraying these as outright facts. We are we are reiterating uh, a website which you know you would you would like to think um, has, has knowledge on this uh, on these matters given that you know it is it is a Charlton website but as with anything there is obviously always the two sides to any particular any particular story and you know the, the as I say we we are not. Um, we're, because we, I, I don't ever like things to be portrayed as outright fact unless Pete, you and I have first-hand, one hundred percent knowledge of them. What we have here is is a third-party website, which which obviously we are we're, we're reiterating things from. This is their opinion. We are purely um, reiterating it. And I just want to make that point very clear. And to be fair, just to add to that, it also is a Charleston website. Who- seem to not have good relations with Farnell, so you you may want to take some of it with just sort anyway. But as you say, it's this is just information that we're getting off here rather than our opinions or or facts or anything. Um but yeah, just the stories that are on this website is just um basically seems to be that any club that he's tried to have involved with involvement with it's just ended up with a with a bit of a mess. Um um and yeah it just doesn't seem to be like the kind of person that you want to be heavily involved in a takeover bid well at the minute it's not even a takeover bid it's just a, a small investment i think it's been 
reported as well i mean let's call it what it is mate it's a link really isn't it because it's you know it, it it's it's rumors it's it's re- it's reporting at, at the moment and you know uh, as much as i have a lot of respect for the athletic again you know we have to we just have to take everything with uh, with a pinch of salt but you know look we, we are on here to give our opinions and and as i always say on this podcast where we, where we give you hard fact hard data yep feel free to take it as that but a lot of the time what you hear on uh, Albion Analysis is mine and Pete's take and mine and Pete's opinion. You want our opinion? Presumably you do because that's why, you, why you're why you tuning in. Our opinion is that from what we have read, we currently can't see, we, we can't see where, the, we, we're not seeing anything written down that is saying about these people really positive things and that's a worry and that's a worry when you start going and doing uh, doing internet searches because looks let's be fair burnt once twice shy like uh you know uh we we we, we are naturally going to be quite concerned at this point about anybody we we, we because we thought we were onto a great thing with gauch online we thought uh, you know we we got we got told we were being bought by this billionaire businessman um, and whilst it was made very clear from the start that he wasn't going to be pumping loads and loads of money into the football club, he wanted the club to be self-sustaining. He said that from the off. We at least thought self-sustaining meant well run, and it wasn't. So naturally, we are going to we 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 are probably going to pick the bones out of anybody who is linked with our fine football club, and we're going to want to know a lot more about them and we're going to be suspicious because well we were sold a dream once and we've and we didn't we got sold up the river so you know naturally we're going to feel this way but it is a concern when you do internet searches Pete and it doesn't return any real positive results it's a it, it you know it's it's a bit like going on to trust pilot and seeing a one star review isn't it it's not you 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 you're going you're going to be you're going to be a little bit gun shy of that. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that in terms of people that want to get involved with football ownership, there seems to be at least ten bad ones for every every good one that you get. So yeah, you do have to when there are links, I think the first thing that I would do is to to kind of search the names and see what the see what past they've got, see what history, what people have written about them, um, and kind of go from there because there's been so many examples in well, just in recent years of of ownerships just ruining clubs um and it seems like we're heading that way at the minute anyway so yeah but uh, but i take yes. it you're you're of a similar opinion to me pete that that, that uh, and this is not directed at the at this particular link this is just a general point that there it's it's not a matter of our ownership is so bad that anything else is better the next we we are we, we are we're an oil tanker that needs turning around you know we're a juggernaut that needs turning around and that is a a slow and steady process and what what we need is someone with patience and expertise and a plan to come in and if if if, if the as bad as lie it's not lie let's be honest it's whatever this awful tangled web of a of, of 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 an ownership structure that we've got whoever whoever the owner is it's i'm i'm fed up of saying lie as if as if he actually is the owner of our football club because it it certainly doesn't appear that way from every, and and from the wonderful work that action for albion did putting that ownership structure up it seems like it's much much more convoluted than that but as bad as our current ownership is if the next one is 
bad as well. We end up the the uh, the juggernaut ends up carrying on in the same direction, and the 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 more it carries on, the more it picks up pace. Yep, I'm going to ride the heck out of this metaphor, and it's just going to be harder to stop and harder to turn around. So I'm not I am not buying into this. Anyone is better than the current owners because. That might be true, but if they're not a lot better, we don't turn the juggernaut around. And we've, I, I, I kind of feel like I, I, I don't know enough about the finances to know whether the ship has sailed on turning turning the juggernaut around, Pete. But I like to believe that if we got somebody better in, and I, by better, I don't mean Bill Gates. I mean somebody competent, somebody who somebody who will run the club properly with the club's best interests at heart. I think we could be in for a, for a few years of kind of like almost, you know, austerity kind of like um, uh, cutting our cloth accordingly and making sure that, you know, and, and probably not a lot of success, not and certainly not at the kind of levels that we've got used to. I, I, I but, but I think we could slowly turn it around a bit like, you know, Sunderland have. For example, to to just pick a club out out of, I mean, hopefully we don't drop that far. But as Luton have, go, I mean, you know, God forbid we should ever drop as far as the national league. But let's be honest. Look, we've seen Coventry go to League Two. We've seen Portsmouth go to League Two. We've seen Bolton go to League Two. We've seen uh, Notts County and Luton go to the national league. It is not out the question that if we get this one wrong. We could tumble through the through the divisions. We've got to get it. We've got to get it right now. Like you know how Ipswich have got it right. How Derby seem to be starting to come back and turn turn that around. How you know Coventry ended up dropping as far as League Two, but they've turned it around. They're 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 coming back now. You know we've got to turn it around early enough that we don't end up just being an absolute crisis club and tumbling through the leagues, which I just feel is very possible, Pete. Yeah, it would be nice to suddenly find out that Bill Gates has always been a West Brom fan, but I think that's quite unlike- unlikely. Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I think we could be uh, we we could be hoping a little bit there. But, but yeah, I definitely agree that obviously we want lie out, but it's not just lie out for anybody. It's you still have to have somebody decent come in. There's no point having like go out and then having somebody come in that's that's just as bad, or even have somebody come in that's marginally better because that would still be terrible for the club. You need a, a change that's actually going to impact the club in a positive way, and that's not just going to you're not going to get that by just you know accepting any bid that comes along. Obviously, Lai and the owners are going to want to get the the most money back from their initial investment. Um, well, that that that's the concern, isn't it, Pete? That uh, that um they they're not going to care about what happens to West Bromwich Albion after they sell it the current owners are not they they i mean they don't seem to care very much about what happens to West Bromwich Albion whilst they own it so they're certainly not going to care what what happens to West Brom after they've sold it so the the, the i i personally can't sit here and expect a great deal of due diligence off them i i, I just kind of I just expect them to take somebody who can afford to pay and is prepared to pay what they want them to pay. And I feel like there is a huge, when, and it, the the positive here, 
and I am going to find a positive because we've been blooming miserable for for the start of this podcast. The positive here, even if we, even if our personal opinions, and it is just that, is that we're not we're deeply unsure about this Farnell bid. The positive here is that at least there is some talk of us being sold, which has not been the case for a very long time. There's been very little sign of lie and or whoever the owner is moving on. At least now there is there is conversations, there is reports, there is rumours of us, uh, and it, it feels like maybe that cog has started turning, which needs to. So that's that's a positive. But when we get to the point where we do have somebody who genuinely wants to take majority ownership of our football club, I can't expect that the current ownership are going to worry about are these people going to do right by West Bromwich Albion in the long term? Their, their main concern is going to be how much you're going to pay us for West Brom. And that's where there becomes a huge burden for me and a huge importance on the EFL to look at whoever it is that's buying West Brom and ask whether they, they, they are, they're fit to own them. And it is, it is a worry that they're fit and proper person test, although they claim they've beefed it up recently it hasn't got a history of doing a great job. I mean, you've only got to look at the amount of uh, EFL football clubs that are in a mess due to their ownership to uh, to, to to think that. So, I, uh, that's that's my. That, I think there's a positive there that this cog has started turning, Pete. But I think there's a concern there that the owners aren't going to be too bothered about who they're selling to, and are the EFL good enough in terms of their vetting process to make sure that we don't get another lie slash whoever it is owning us. Yeah, I think that's probably the only real positive you can take from it at the minute is that the owners do seem to be open to to offers or investments. Um, But yeah, if they get an offer that meets their valuation, then they're just going to sell it to the highest bidder after that, aren't they? Um, They don't care who owns it. And as you say, you've got to hope hope that the AFL tests are actually strong enough now to kind of weed out the bidders that aren't you know shouldn't really be potential owners um that's the only real kind of support that the club is going to get um like i say the current owners will just sell to the highest bidder they don't care what the club does in five years time as long as they can get a bit of bit of their money back then they'll be happy so it's kind of down to the afl to to watch over us and hopefully protect us from any owners that are are as bad as the the current ones but yeah the course the the positive is that they may finally be open to offers hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Away days are great. There's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record and the Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
But moving on, and uh, I mean, to be honest, we, we decided to do this podcast before that news dropped. So um, that we that was obviously never in our plans to even talk about. So getting on to the stuff that we were actually planning to talk about uh, today, and that is the changes at the top of West Bromwich Albion. Now, as I say, we have seen um, sort of a change of CEO. We've seen our CEO walk away which um apparently has actually been in the in the offing for some months we it, it's just been an incredibly well kept secret there aren't a lot of those in football and it's uh, it's quite impressive they actually kept the fact that Ron Gourlay had resigned quiet for as long as they did I'm you know genuinely quite impressed at, at, at that um replacing him in a kind of a way is Mark Miles in the sense that he has um subsumed Ron Gourlay's responsibilities. As I say, um, if if I'm wrong on this, I apologise and anybody's welcome to correct me. But as I understand it, there hasn't been a change of job title for Mark Miles and he hasn't been made um, CEO. Now, I mean, first of all, Pete, the first concern here is why did Ron Gourlay walk away? I mean, he seems to have walked away in terms of actually um, saying that he's going to resign in and around a similar time to when our accounts were being sorted out, which um, does uh, does seem like a, there might be no uh, the, there's uh, there's no smoke without fire sort of uh, situation. Um, but also, uh, there's there's the quote that Elias Burke brought up from him from some months ago which was uh, which was when he was asked about more money going out of the club and he said if um if uh, if more money goes out of the club you'll know because I won't be here well look I could be adding 2 plus 2 and making 5 here but he's not here anymore you know so does that does that mean that more money's gone out of the club look we don't know the answer to that question because unfortunately the the financial reports run a year behind so if money has gone out recently, we, we we won't find out till next year, which is frustrating. But and, and Ron Gourlay is, I would, I'd be deeply surprised if he wasn't under a non-disclosure agreement. So he's not going to go and talk about these things publicly, and nor can you expect him to. So the reasons why Ron Gourlay walked away will remain shrouded in mystery, and we can only speculate as to those. As for the man stepping into the breach, Mark Miles, I'm always very open on this podcast where I uh, have relationships with people or I have um, uh, what might be considered conflicts of interest. And, and it, it's fair enough. I, I worked with Mark. Um, I, I worked with Mark during my period at the club between 2007 and 2014. I had a good relationship with Mark while I while I worked at the football club. He and I got on. I liked him. Um, he was, uh, I, I think, I'm right in saying he was he was our head of facilities or something like that uh, then. And when when I see Mark around, which is extremely rarely these days, although I did see him a few weeks back uh, when Pete and I played on the on the pitch, um, we're 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 always civil. We have a nice chat. We catch up briefly, um, and then he, you know, he goes about his business. So he's not somebody that I have a bad opinion of in any way, shape, or form. Um, as I say, we we've we've always, in my experience, had a good relation uh, relationship, and I I think it's important that I'm upfront with that before I make any further comments because I, you know, I don't uh, if 
if people are going to accuse me of any sort of bias, I'm going to be upfront and say, look, you know, this is this is a person that I, I, I've I've never had anything particularly bad to 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 say about in my experience, as I find. What I would also say is though I haven't worked with the guy since 2014, so I've that's nine years. I have no idea what he has done in the nine years since I worked with him, um, what skills he's learned. Because you know, in those nine years, I wasn't I wasn't qualified. Nine years ago, I wasn't qualified to be any sort of a teacher, and now uh, now I now I run a university program. So um, uh, a, 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 I'm a program leader from university course. So people develop in nine years, and it's important to say that. So Mark might have some some skills that 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 fit that role. I honestly don't know. I don't know about his suitability for the role, so I'm not going to talk about that. What I am going to talk about is what I am confident that I know about. And that is, first things first, every time somebody at the top of our football club walks away, I mean, Gourlay hasn't been replaced. Mark Miles was already in situ at the club. So we've just added more work to somebody's workload who was already being uh, being paid by the football club. So we're effectively one we're a man down. We are, we're one less employee. So it just seems like the hierarchy of our football club gets smaller and smaller and smaller. When Gourlay came in, he talked about getting more football people at, at the top of the football club. It actually seems like Liars actively moved away from that or again, Ken or whoever is, whoever is calling the shots. It seems like we've actively moved away from that. The other thing I would say in terms of Mark Miles is and I, I mean this in the nicest way possible I feel like he's got an impossible job what support structure has that has the guy got I mean he's got he's got no board members from what I can see other than Ken who seems uh, seems fairly absentee since um to my eyes anyway uh, since uh, since the whole Ishmael debacle went completely south We've got no sporting director since Dowling left. As much as I wasn't a fan of Dowling, we've we've not filled that void. Um, there's just the, there just seems to be a total lack of people around Mark Miles, and whatever skill set Mark has, he can't be expected to do everything. Who are the people supporting him? It basically seems like we have just reduced and reduced and reduced the hierarchy of our football club. To the point where we've we're just basically left with Mark Miles and Ian Pierce, and look, everybody who listens to this pod knows my opinions on Ian Pierce, but equally, what chance have those two guys got? There doesn't seem to be any support structure, and there doesn't seem to be any interest from the people owning the club to actually build up a real support structure within that football club, within the hierarchy, to make sure that we've got a series of experts, because that's what you need. You need elite people at the top of a, uh, at the very, very top of a football club, each of whom will have specialist... Sort of, I'm, I feel like I'm going a little bit Liam Neeson here, but I don't mean to. But they're going to have specialist skills, specialist, specialist areas of expertise. And at the moment, we seem to have just two people at the at the top of the football club and however good they might be running what should be at worst a top championship football club with effectively two people within the hierarchy 
it seems like an impossible job to me, Pete. That's 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 how I look at it, and I'm just so concerned. I am way more I'm way more concerned by the lack of people around Mark Miles than I am worried about in any way delving into questions about you know Mark's skill set and, and, and because I'm sure he you know he he's he's probably spent the last few months learning off uh, off Ron shadowing him he probably knows what he has to do but he's got no support around him has he at all no he's got no support um Gawley had very little support but at least he had a bit of experience as CEOs and football clubs but it's something that we've been saying for a long time is that you need to get the structure sorted at the top of the club um, and then kind of work your way down because they're hopefully going to be the people that are there more consistently than the, the ones lower down as in the managers or the players they're going to move on a bit more than maybe sporting directors or CEO would um, so it, yeah I mean obviously the sport network is would be key but as you say, there isn't one. Um, it kind of feels like the owners have seen an opportunity to just cut the overall wage bill and, you know, CEO leaves. Um, so then you're not paying his wages. You give somebody maybe... Um, and it, uh, and you, you would imagine that would have... That, that's, I mean, look, we can only guess here, Pete, but I can't I can't imagine for the life of me Ron Gourlay came cheap. No, well, it depends what you're comparing it to, doesn't it? If you compare it to the actual players and... I'm, yeah, I'm not comparing it, it cheap, to but... what you and I earn, just... But just just say just say you're aware. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, CEO is going to be a well-paid role, isn't it? So, and he's got experience um, working at, at Chelsea and I think Man United as well. So, yeah, I, I doubt he was coming cheap. Um, but you've got rid of the CEO and you've not actually filled that role, um, which is probably going to be the highest earning role of the, the non-playing staff. Um, well, excluding maybe manager, I don't know, but it's going to be a higher earning role, is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, uh, than than the non-football staff, I think. I think you would say if you basically take out players and coaches. Yeah, that's what I was meaning. Um, but yeah, as far as we're aware, we've not actually moved Mark Miles up to CEO. Um, he's just taken on more responsibility, so he might have had a small promotion, but it's going to save the the club a few, a little bit of money, um, and. Well, at the minute, it seems that any bit of money saved is is important for the club, um, the way that we're heading. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine there was much of a recruitment process in place either um, from the outside, looking in and just kind of speculating. It just seems to have been that you know, somebody in the club, he's been there for 20 years, I think I read, um, kind of give him a few more responsibilities and, and hopefully that all suffice for now. But, yeah, it's definitely not an ambitious appointment and it's the other key factor is as you've been saying is that there's no support around him um so even if he was going to be the best um well not ceo whatever i can't actually know what the job title is but the best one of them he could be then you're still going to struggle when you've not got the people around you to to help you you can't be an expert in every single aspect of a football club um and that's where you need as you say top quality um employees alongside you that can specialize in different areas and the one person that he does seem to have to um, have to lean on is Ian Pierce, who has got a promotion. I mean, uh, let's let's get started with this because you 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 know you know where I'm going to go with this. Uh, I mean, I'm just stunned. 
I'm not stunned actually because it's because it's the Albion and it's what we do and uh, and it, and it's it, it, you know I as, as soon as soon as I start sort of started seeing him linked with Stoke I thought oh, well this this is the Albion we'll we'll, we'll chuck we'll chuck a, a new deal a new job or something at him to to keep him because 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 we've got nobody we've got nobody who'd be able to replace him. You know, or no, sorry, I, what I mean by that is we've got nobody who would be able to find anybody to replace him. And I think that's ultimately what it what it comes back to. Why are we, why are we recruiting nobody from the board? Because we've got nobody who can find the right people. Why are we not? Why have we not hired a sporting director since Luke Dowling left? Because we've got nobody who can find them. Why are we desperately clinging on to a a now head of football operations who doesn't seem to do very much of anything at all to my eyes because we we because for fear that we that we wouldn't be able to actually replace him that we wouldn't have anybody who can who can find anyone to replace him and Pete I'm just I'm just absolutely absolutely stunned um that 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 we that we've gone down this route because and and reading his interview on the club website did not make me feel any better let me start let me start you off with 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 this i mean the fact he mentions about three times in the blooming thing what a good relationship he has with carlos like that's a credential of his um I mean, you know, we'll do very well to keep hold of Carlos very long with the with the mess that's going on behind the scenes. But one of the questions on the website was, can you give us an insight into what your new responsibilities will include? His answer, anything to do with football at the club, I'll have my hands on it. I'll be reporting into Mark Miles and the rest of the board constantly to update them on our progress with the aim of moving things forward this season. Now, as I say, I am a I'm a university lecturer in football journalism because that's my background, um, and I constantly mark essays from students. If one of my students had written that, I would straight away be annotating it with, um, "How are you going to move things forward? Be specific. Give details." Also, and I would then be annotating the top sentence: "Anything to do with football at the club? Are you picking the team?" Are you training the players then? Because that's to do with football at the club. I mean, it's an answer that screams, I don't know my job and I don't have a plan. That's what that says to me. I'm sure it's not what he meant, but the fact that he couldn't give a more complete answer than that to an extremely simple question that he was obviously going to be asked in that interview, what is your job? I mean... How can you not how can you not answer that question? It's not it's not even like he's a new employee. He's he's been here for a few years. How can he not capably answer the question with specifics? What is your job? I don't think I'm asking a lot here, Pete. Look, I, I know I go off on one about Ian Pierce all the time. So you're welcome to jump in here and be the voice of reason if you if you want to. Or tell me that I'm being completely reasonable, but I, I just don't think that failing so miserably to answer the question "What is your job?" is a particularly good sign for our new head of football operations. No, he's managed to to talk without actually saying anything, hasn't he? So um, 
a bit of detail would have been nice to actually for the fans to understand what he was going to be doing in the future and maybe a bit of insight into what the club's actually going to be looking to do in the future rather than just move things forward. Because um, I think you'd be a bit you'd be a bit concerned if he was trying to move things backwards. Um, so I think moving things forward is just a given, really. Um, but yeah, it was a it's a basic question, and you'd have thought that you'd have an answer to it that actually says something. Um, and yeah, I think supporters reading it would have definitely valued a bit of information into what his role actually entails and what he's going to be doing. Just moving on and just just sticking with that with that interview. Um, what are our transfer plans for this summer? He uh, he said we need to match the coach's ambition for doing the best we can and trying to build a team that uh, can push for promotion and playoff places in what is a competitive league. Again, a lot of words not a lot of substance. Then he goes on to say, in Jed Wallace, John Swift and OK Koslu, I believe we signed the three best free transfers last year. This summer we'll be looking at, the, at that market again and seeing what's available, but we'll be utilising the loan market too, which is very important for teams in the championship and can be a good tool for progression. We'll be assessing both of those markets and another example of business we'd like to do is Brandon Thomas Asante, who's been brilliant for us and built a good connection with the fans. We'll be looking for those types of signings as well. Now, again, just picking the bones out of that. Okay, yep, completely get uh, you. You got the three best free transfer signings um, of last summer. You, you did also pay them incredibly large sums of money and put them on long uh, long contracts though we we got those three free transfers particularly Wallace and Swift because we paid big wages that's not something you're going to be able to do this summer so uh, you know look we we did a podcast at the end of last season and straight away we found we said Wallace and Swift it was not rocket science. Um, uh, I'm not being funny. If 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 two guys who I mean Pete has access to more tools than I do, but if 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 a guy who who uses transfer marked FB rep and and who scored can find you two main transfer targets, then it doesn't um, uh, it it doesn't really mean that much in terms of uh, Ian Pierce's reputation as as a head of football operations that he picks out the same guys that we do. It just means he's gone for the obvious targets. Which is fine to a certain degree because they're good players and they're good players in 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 this league. And okay, Costly was somebody known to the club. And again, you know, why why risk it on somebody that you don't know when you can sign a player that you already know is good, you already know is going to fit into the area that you know is a good lad around the place. You know, it makes a certain degree of sense. But you can only do that if you can throw wages at them. We can't do that this summer. So straight away. I don't see that highlighting Wallace Swift and Yukoslu is in any way an indicator towards our business this summer because we can't go for the same freeze. We can't go for the ones who are going to be able to command. I, you know, I, I look. I, I could get proved wrong, but I don't think we'll be able to compete in the mix for someone like Ryan Manning, for example, who I think is probably, in terms of wages, probably going to be one of the most expensive championship freeze around this summer. Then there's this line about the loan market. We'll be utilising the loan market too, which is very important for teams in the championship and can be a good tool for progression. Well, if it's such a good blooming tool, why haven't you signed any loans in the last two years? We signed Mark Albright. You haven't signed a single... I uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, but I don't think we've taken a young player on loan since Grady D and Garner. 
So if it's such a good tool, why you've been here, you've been, you've been our recruitment guy for the last two years. Why haven't we been doing any of those signings? And then the, the and then the last point on another example of the business we'd like to do is Brandon Thomas Asante. Well, you can't sign him again. I realise what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, can we pick up players down the leagues for lower transfer fees? who have the real drive and desire to step up and go and go up a level. I know I'm being slightly pedantic in, in, in saying what I'm saying there. I, I'm not stupid. I do realize the point Ian Pierce is trying to make. The point I'm going to make back to that is, well, Brandon Thomas Asante came about because uh, Matt Smith, who is Steve Bruce's son-in-law recommended him to him. You're going to have to do a lot more scouting than that to find these players because there are, there's, a lot of clubs looking for those kind of players. I mean, Luton have just gone up signing exactly those kind of players, but they but they scout them properly. They find them. They they identify them. You know, Brentford did it very well for 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 a period of time. You know, Coventry have done very very good scouting. Sunderland have done some excellent recruitment. There's a lot of clubs out there who are going to be fishing in the same pond as us, but have got better rods, so to speak. I just think, again, he's saying a lot, but we, we, we've, got, we've got the same recruitment department. We haven't made... I, I genuinely would have liked Ian Pearce in that interview, because let's, let's, let's cut to what I would have liked to have seen, because, um, because it sounds like I'm just, I'm just taking every word that he's spoken and beating him over the head with him. And maybe, maybe there's an element of truth in that, because I really, really don't rate him. But... What so what what would what would I have wanted him to say? What I would have wanted him to say is for him to outline. First of all, admit that we haven't a hundred percent got our recruitment right over the last couple of years. That it hasn't been everything that it could have been, and to just outline a couple of things that we could do that maybe we we start scouting the Premier League too a little bit better. That, um, that that we're we're sending more scouts to um, to to League Two games because we know there's the, there's talent down there ready to be ready to be picked off. That um, that that we're going to be expanding our operation in in Europe because the, there's actually been something announced this week where I, I think we can take is it the, between two and four players without who don't qualify for a work permit um, in in our have them in our squads per season so we can actually take more players from abroad i just would have liked some you know he doesn't need to go into masses of detail but just at least make a nod to the fact that we're going to make things better because all we've done in the last two years to my eyes is either signed the blindingly obvious like wallace and swift or signed the players that the manager once now whether that's eric peters living a few doors down from steve bruce whether it's brandon thomas asante being recommended by his son-in-law whether it's signing moat and, D- and dk for ishmael we we haven't it hasn't come from scouting it hasn't come from player identification and i just would would have liked to have seen him say i've been given greater power and greater remit now and i'm going to use that to make our recruitment better and this is how I'm going to do it and I didn't see any of that from him in those quotes yeah I think I agree with that um it's kind of I mean saying that we need 
should be using the loan market and it's a very useful tool. It's kind of the thing that every fan has been saying for, for however long. I mean, since we had Grady Diangana and Matthias Pereira and Gravinovic and the likes of them on loan in that season, it was even just fans that hadn't watched anything from before that, you can tell that it's it's a useful tool and you should be using it more. Um, as you say, we've Harvey not really Barnes. used it in the past. Harvey Barnes, yeah. I forgot about Harvey Barnes season before that. Yeah, obviously it's a useful tool. You'd expect a head of recruitment to know that and to, to use it, but we haven't done for the past two seasons, really. We've had a couple of players, um, Mark Albrighton, who really didn't work out this season. And last season we had Matt Clark and Jason Malumbi, but neither of them are, were really young players. Um, well, and we only, I mean, and we only got Jason Mullumby anyway with a loan to buy any uh, anyway. So I mean, really, Jason, as good as as good a signing as Jason Mullumby was, he was he was a purchase, not a loan, really, wasn't he? Yeah, and that's what I mean. They weren't like these young players that the clubs are sending out to give them experience, and then the parent club are hoping they'll come back and maybe fight for a first team place afterwards. These are players that. They're not your McAtees, your Doyles, your um, your Norton Cuffies, uh, people people like that, are they? No, they're they're probably more players that the clubs have probably given up hope on actually breaking into the first team, and more likely just trying to get them into the shop window for either the club that they're sending them out on loan to, or just a club to buy them after that, like Matt Clark moving to Middlesbrough. Um, so we've not used the the young loan market in that respect for the past few seasons, and. Well, we probably miss, well, we definitely have missed out on players because of it, um, and players that could have definitely helped the squad. So it's yeah, I think that's just a bit of an obvious one, um, and the same with looking at players that are similar to Brandon Thompson-Sante. We've got no money. Um, we're going to have to look at players that are going to be cheaper and dropping down the leagues to look at players is is one way of doing that. And of course, you want the fans on board, so you want players that are going to fight and show energy like Brandon Thompson-Santi does. Again, it's kind of just a bit of a given. Um, so it's, I suppose, in one way, he's saying the right things, but it would have been nice to acknowledge that maybe we haven't been doing the right things in the past couple of years, and now we're going to look to change things rather than just the, saying the f- it. The first step in solving any problem is admitting there is one, Pete. Well, exactly that. And um, yeah, there's definitely no admission. Um, so it's maybe maybe we'll see a change. Maybe it's all just words, and yeah, and maybe it'll just go back to how it's been the past couple of seasons. I think the other the other concern that I have around Albion's transfer policy is that one thing you can say about us last last summer is that we got our primary business done very very early. Wallace and Swift were done extremely quickly, extremely early on. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, okay, we 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 kind of we kind of we kind of blew the budget a little bit on those two, more than a little bit, truth be told, um, and then scrambled around a bit for the for the rest of the window. But we did get those two. When he says about you know we got the best freeze, well, yeah, we we partly got them because we got them done early. There's no real signs of that happening this summer. We've already seen. I mean, literally, we as as is always the case with uh, with these sorts of things. We we do a podcast highlighting Niall Ennis and how much how much we like him as a forward. And literally, the day I drop the podcast, he he signs for Blackburn. Um, but but it just goes to show that that other other 
clubs are moving quicker than we are. Norwich have moved and uh, and signed a few players, Jack Stacey, Shane Duffy, Ashley Barnes. And by the way, I'm not saying that I would have wanted to have seen a sign. I I, I really like Jack Stacey, actually, but... um. I, the last th- the last thing I, I would want us to to see us do is go and get players well into their thirties like uh, like Duffy and and Barnes. So I'm not saying we should have been in the market for those sorts of players. We've we've seen um, Sunderland sign Joe Bellingham. Uh, I think that was earlier today. Um, so clubs are making moves in our division. Um, clubs that you would expect to be in and around where we want to be. Blackburn were a team who fell out of the playoffs. Very very late on last uh, last last season, Sunderland obviously um, losing uh, playoff semi finalists. Um, Norwich uh, massively flattered to deceive, but uh, they, they, in the second year of their parachute payments, they will have huge ambitions to be to be there or thereabouts, especially with with a new manager as well at the start of the season. So the the clubs who are in and around where we want to be are starting to make moves. And we aren't, which makes me wonder whether or not we have to sell to buy. And I do have a little bit of information in this particular area. And I I don't feel particularly guilty in saying this because normally this is the sort of thing that I would keep to myself because I I, I don't like in the know accounts sort of like um, undermining the club's transfer business just because I've worked in the PR of a football club. And I know that it is difficult when, when transfers get out that it can sometimes undermine them. But Mark Miles openly said in his, in, in, in his statement that we need to sell players. I personally don't think that was a particularly great thing to say. I, I think it undermines your negotiating standpoint when you admit that you need to sell immediately knocks money off, off the price of, um, of, of players and to go on top of that um it, it from what i'm hearing the club are offering around players now whether they're offering them themselves or whether they're having the agent uh, offer them around i know there are west bromwich albion players being offered to clubs at this moment in time you might think fair dues it's kind of what i what i expect i'm not going to name the names because if I name the names, as I say, I feel like it could potentially drive the price down if clubs know that we're desperate to move these players on. So I'm not going to do that. Um, but what I will say is they're not the players you want us to be selling. They're not the players you think the club should be moving on. There's players being offered around that fans are going to be upset about. And it worries me a little bit. I understand the fact that we that, that we need to make money this summer, but we're admitting we need to sell. We're actively trying to move players on. I realise the reason we're doing it is so that Carlos can hopefully bring some of his own players in because I honestly think if Carlos didn't believe that we would bring in players for him, he would not still be here because he is not a man short of options. We've all, we saw that um, at, towards the end of last season with Leeds. And if rumours are to be believed, he's been heavily linked with Leeds again this summer. So I don't think he'd still be here if he didn't have some assurances that he was going to get players in. And I understand that you've got a, there's an element of having to generate money. I just don't think it's, I just don't think making yourself look weak in terms of looking desperate, the best way to maximise value out of a 
player is to make people feel that you won't sell them if they don't reach your price. Jeremy Peace was a master at this. To the detriment of players, I mean, Nathan Ellington spoke about this very thing on our on our very podcast only last week. But, he, but I mean, what you would say about Jeremy, obviously from a player's point of view, as Nathan described, that's extremely frustrating and can be detrimental to their career. But from a financial and club point of view, Jeremy tended to get value. He he very rarely he very rarely got turned over by somebody when selling a player. I don't think the way we are going about moving players on this summer, or from what I hear, is the way we are going about moving on players this summer, is the way to maximise value. And in reality, if we are going to... There are some players that you would just, as as fans like to say, I would drive them to their next club. There are some players in that boat. But if we, if the ones we're going to sell are not those players, that they are the ones that we would, in an ideal world with everything being equal, like to keep, then you've got to get value out of them. And I don't see how our current approach is going to do that, Pete. No, it's probably not a strong position to put yourself in to say that you need to sell to buy. But then at the same time, I do think that most clubs would probably be aware of the financial situation, know that we are pretty short of cash. But yeah, you're kind of just taking them on by saying that you do need to sell players and they'll be looking to, to get players a bit more cheaply than maybe they would have done initially. Um, but I mean, I suppose the other side of the coin is that you might be able to start bidding more for a player just by driving up the interest. But well, again, to counter that is that not many clubs have got much money to to start a bid and war with so and that's exactly what i was going to going to say to you because the reality of the situation is how many of our players are going to move to the premier league really i mean i can think of i mean really maybe maybe two if if we wanted if you know i can think of two off the top of my head that maybe premier league clubs would 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 want to take in reality the rest of them if we're trying to move them on, we're probably trying to move them on to other Premier League clubs. I, I would suggest that, that, that uh, sorry, other championship clubs. I, I would suggest that probably the only ones that Premier League clubs are going to look to take would probably be Dara, um, that they would probably look to take, maybe look to take uh, John Swift if the price was right on a little bit of a gamble and possibly... If they needed a goalkeeper, they might look at one of our two keepers. I, I honestly, I don't see. If DK was fit, maybe I'd put him into that bracket. But he's not going to go anywhere this summer because nobody's going to buy an injured bloke. So, I, uh, beyond that, Pete, I, th- I think the rest of them, I think you're probably looking at Championship interest all the all the way through, aren't you? Because they're they're either the wrong sort of age. Someone like you know, I think Wallace has got the quality to actually play in in the Premier League, but his age, he's he's a gamble for a Premier League club to give three three years to, and they're not gonna, they're not going to get like they're not going to get any money back at the end of that because he's he's just going to be too old to sell. And then the rest of them are you know you've got good players like um, Malumbi, Thomas Asante, people like that, but. They're so unproven and are still quite raw that really, if you end up selling any of those, you're probably going to be selling them to 
to championship clubs, aren't aren't you? And and certainly and those that have underperformed as well, Grants, Dean Garners, people uh, people like that are definitely going to be you're going to be looking at championship clubs because they haven't proved enough over the last few years to to be taken by premier league clubs i've named named a lot of players there as i say the the ones i've heard rumors about um it's a very limited number of players and i'm not necessarily saying whether they're any of those that i've just named yeah it's it's a difficult situation when you've got players that are probably not good enough to play in the premier league at the moment um and you're trying to move them on because, as we seem to keep saying, not many clubs in this division have got much money. So bidding wars for your players are probably pretty unrealistic, especially when a fair few of them are in comparison to the rest of the division, reportedly. Well, um, that, that, I mean, that yeah, that's another point that we haven't really touched on, uh, on Pete, is uh, is the wages that we've paid over the last couple of years are prohibitive. I mean, I mean OK... Those that have come down from the Premier League have probably had a fifty percent. Uh, sorry, um, yeah, have have had their wages cut in half by uh, by relegation because that's a fairly standard clause in most in most contracts that you have two numbers for your wage, one for the Premier League, one for the Championship. But nonetheless, I mean, if you if if you were on hypothetically speaking forty grand a week in the Premier League, which by today's standards is not a terribly high Premier League wage. You're still, you're still on 20 grand in the championship, which is a massive championship wage, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so that's where it, it becomes tricky as well. And it's then you kind of got to find the balance of, is it worth getting rid of them for a, a cut price just to try and get them off your wage bill or do you hold up for a bit more? But it's going to be a bit more difficult to get a bit of money because teams aren't going to want to pay transfer fee as well as high wages. Um and obviously, the players aren't going to want to leave. They're going to be cutting a, be taking a um, a cut in their wages. So it's it's a very difficult situation. And I think, well, the only way that we get out of it, a financially secure way, is that we get promotion to the Premier League. But difficulty there is that we don't seem to have any money at the minute to to buy players with. And as has been said, we need to sell before we buy. So it's going to be a very tricky season, I think, because it's probably going to be frustrating as well because. We do have some very good players in the squad, and it just feels like we just need a couple, couple more brought in to give us a squad that's good enough to, to really challenge for the promotion, especially under Corbram. But well, do do you, uh, I mean just to kind of like just pick up on that point, Pete, and, and maybe maybe because we're coming towards the end, maybe just end on 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 a bit of a positive. That I mean, if we could keep the majority of the players, or maybe maybe say we do sell couple but bring in like 10 mil just plucking a number out the air for two players which is not which is not out of the out of the question so uh, say seven mil for somebody and three mil for another and that and that sort of like clears the decks a little bit in terms of in 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 terms of um the having the not having to be a fire sale with the rest of the squad you, you look at if everybody had been fit at the end of last season, I think we would have been, I think we'd have made the playoffs. I think we'd have made the playoffs with something to spare, to be honest with you. I think, uh, I, uh, I, I, I think we would have been, I, th- I think, I think we'd, have, I think we'd have probably finished just below Borough, to be honest. If, 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 if 
our players had stayed fit and we did have a ridiculous run of injuries towards the end of last season. So I'm not making excuses here. It just was what it was. I feel like if rather than selling off everybody, if we, we've obviously got rid of one or two off, uh, off the wages, likes of Livermore, Brian um, have, have gone. That's obviously saved, it saved a few, a few quid. But it, I think if you, if you sold somebody for, uh, for for two players for decent money if you can replace them with three or four cheaper players i think there's enough in the rest of the squad plus you've got Caleb Taylor coming back from loan who looks very capable so i mean i've, I've just said Daro Shea's one that i feel could go to a premier league club if Daro Shea went to the premier league and you replaced him with Caleb Taylor but used the Daro Shea money to strengthen other areas of the of the squad i could see the logic in that and i could see how potentially we could end the window stronger than we started it my concern is that it doesn't stop at one or two players and that we take whatever money comes for whoever. And obviously, really important players are some of our top earners, your Swifts, your Wallaces. And and I think if if they if they go, they will be with the wages we will be able to pay, I think they will be virtually impossible to replace. But I think if 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 you could if you could sell one or two for decent money plug a couple of gaps with 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 young players coming back and spend the money wisely and this is always the therein lies the rub moment because we haven't done this well recently spend the money wisely getting young players who are going to appreciate in value into other areas of the squad that need strengthening i feel like we could end we could end the window in a better position than we started it do I think that'll happen? No, if I'm honest, because I, I I don't have a lot of faith in the recruitment team to find the value. Because you've got to remember, everybody else is looking at these players. If you if you're only looking at the obvious ones, everybody's going to be looking at them, and and they'll they'll go to the highest bidder. They will go to the highest bidder, and that what where that's been us in the past, it won't be us this summer. Where 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 that was that's how we got Swift and Wallace. That won't be us this summer, because we haven't got the money to do it. We haven't got the money to blow other teams out of the water. So, I don't think it'll happen for that reason. And I'm and I am really worried that the sales don't stop at one or two players. And I think if we start if we start trying to turn over half a dozen players this summer, or even God forbid, like we like, like we we actually did successfully in Tony Mowbray's first summer at the club. I think it was ten ten in eleven out, but we did that with Dan Ashworth there and with a really great recruitment department and still Premier League money behind us. We could do that then. We could get away with doing that that summer. We can't get away with doing that th- this summer. So that's 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 where I am, Pete. I actually do think there's an opportunity here if Albion can sell wisely enough a couple of high value assets and reinvest at least some of the money in the right areas of the squad i think we have an opportunity to end the window stronger than than when than when it started but do i have faith in the competencies of the people doing the recruitment do i have faith in the fact that the owner or owners 
won't ask for more and more players to be sold to recoup as much money as possible. No, no, I don't. And that's where my worries lie. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well, is that even if you do sell, say you can sell two players and you bring in 10 million, you're making the assumption that that 10 million then gets spent on bringing players in when in recent history of the ownership, it could um, be taken out of the club. Well, it's it, it, it's it's that some of it needs to be. I I, I actually wouldn't. I, I actually wouldn't expect if we brought ten million in, to see ten million reinvested, Pete. But you know, if if we brought ten million in and we had a good enough recruitment department to find cheaper players, I mean, like you know, Brent, Brentford have um, uh, Brentford for the years they were in the Championship, they sold the likes of Morpe and Ben Rama and. Ollie Watkins and people like that, they didn't. They didn't reinvest all of that money by any stretch. They, but the, they, they just they spent a portion of it, but they spent it intelligently. The 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 issue I have is that I have seen no evidence over the last couple of years that we have the current recruitment department that can find. Value. It seems like the when we bring in good players, we tend to bring in good players either from a manager knowing them or from spending an awful lot of money or a little bit of both. And and I mean, Corbran might have some targets in mind. Um, so there may be an element of the manager bringing targets to the table, but we certainly can't throw money at it this summer. No, and then. As we've always said, is just wait till the manager, just wait till Coran leaves or gets sacked, and a squad full of his players, rather than somebody who has been in charge of the recruitment and, and led it. And then the next manager will want to get rid of them and bring in his own players. So it's kind of that's just a messy way to do things. Um, in the short term, it might be the best way to do things is to let Coran have a big say on things, but it is very short term um, and. Well, I suppose everything around the club at the minute is short-term planning rather than looking at the long-term future. But, it, but it's why it's why we've cost ourselves so much money. I know we've I know we're raking over old ground here, and we've said this before on the pod, Pete. But if but as you quite rightly say, if you buy players for a specific manager, and Ishmael is the perfect example of us doing this, then the next guy wants his guys in, and you end up. Loaning out a high, a, a, a highly paid asset in someone like Alex Mowat to a divisional rival just to get him off the books for a season, and it's just it's just a, a and it, it just ends it not only ends up being bad recruitment and a bad way to run a football club, it ends up being really expensive. I think it's worth saying that for as much as Lai has appears to have well, he certainly has taken money out of the club because he owes us five million. And then whatever else, possibly. I think there's uh, uh, that is a concern. It's a huge concern. But we've wasted a lot of money as well, haven't we? Yeah, of course. Um, and again, that comes down to having the right people in the right positions at the top of the football club. Um, if you can't get that structure sorted, then you're going to waste money along the way. You know, clubs like Brentford that have gone up and Brighton have got it right from top to bottom, and things ran. Things just seem to run smooth, very smooth and seamlessly. Um, and if you can get that structure right, then there's a lot less wastage. Um, just bringing in a good recruitment department, it's going to cost you a lot less money than it is to to waste money on transfers year in, 
year out because you're not signing the right players or you're overpaying for players. And it's just from the outside looking it in, the outside looking in, it seems like a pretty simple ask to just sort that out and stop the wastage there and you're going to benefit from it long term. But it just, yeah, it doesn't seem something that Albion have been interested in doing in the past six, seven years. And to be honest, I think we'll leave it there for 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 this evening because um, well, first of all, it, it's getting late, and we uh, and we all know that if we go down this particular route, Pete and I could go on for forever because it's something. In fact, I I'm almost getting a sense of deja vu, Pete. That I feel like we had exactly this conversation at almost exactly this time last year, and it is just frightening how little our club has advanced itself in 12 months it's it, i mean you know ian pierce talks about moving things forward well wouldn't that be a fine thing because we are having exactly the same conversation 12 months on and i think you said almost exactly those words this time last year that it will cost you a lot less to build a recruitment department than it will to constantly waste money on players that aren't right for your football club and we don't like repeating ourselves on this podcast because it's boring. You know, we don't, we don't want to hear ourselves say the same things over and over again. And you guys don't want to hear us say the same things over and over again. But if the same things remain the case, what else can we say? What else can we say? And I think the proof of the pudding there is in the eating that Pete has basically just said the same thing that he said around this time 12 months ago. Why has he said it? Not because he hasn't got anything better to say. Pete has many wonderful things to say. It's because the club in 12 months, there was all sorts of promises from Ron Gourlay that we would sort out the football structure of the football club and we haven't moved on one iota. And And that, in a nutshell, everybody, is why Pete and I are so worried about this summer and where, we, where we're going to go. Um, it's not because we like to get on at people. It's not as much as it might sound like I like to get on Ian Pierce's back. I would so much love for that guy to make me look so stupid and do an amazing job this summer. And that I would love to have to come on to a podcast like whenever the window shuts at the end of August um, and apologize to that man. And I tell you what, if he nails it, I will do that. I 100% will do that. Because I would be apologising with a smile on my face because all I want is the best for West Bromwich Albion Football Club. But at the moment, all I see is a continuation of, it's not even mediocrity, appalling practice, a absolutely dreadful practice. And it, and it comes from the fact that we are making the same mistakes over and over again, that we are not sorting out the structure and that's where the attention needs to be. You, you know, you, that's where that's where you need. As Pete says, that's where you need to be spending your time and your money, because you recruit a good sporting director, a decent head of recruitment. If you feel Ian Pierce isn't the man, and we all know that I don't, and you 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 sort out the scouting structure and you start finding players. And I tell you what, you will save so much money in every every other area, and you will have made that money back in absolutely no time because you've only you've only got to you've only got to find one gem. Brentford find how many? You've only got to find one Neil Morpay, one Side Ben Rama, one 
Ollie Watkins and bish bash bosh, you've made yourself 30 million quid like like that because that's because that's how much premier league clubs pay pay for footballers and you ain't spent 30 million quid on a on on a on a recruitment structure and look i know it sounds like we're being mega negative but it's because we see no progress and the reason i sit here and pick apart an interview from ian pierce is because i see no plan i see no words from a from a man who should know his job inside out because he's been in situ for long enough now that suggests that he knows when he talks about moving things forward, that he, that he knows how he's going to do that. And all I want to see is evidence of progress is building a structure that is sustainable for the future. And I just want to hear somebody who's got a plan. That's all I want. It's not a lot to ask in my personal opinion. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.